Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. We are in the book of Proverbs, and we're working through a series called The Way of Wisdom. And we've been talking about how we need wisdom in life to navigate life and all of its complexity. Uh, life is not easy. Amen? Uh, it's just realities of life, and it seems like the last couple of years have been harder than the, than the others. And I want you to know whether you're here in the room or whether you're watching online or wherever it is you're jumping in with us today, that there's good news in the scriptures that tell us where to go with the complexity of life, with the difficulties, with the wounds of life, with the hurts and hardships, and uh, that there is hope for all of us, no matter where you've been. And you may be listening, uh, been singing along to the songs and thinking, yeah, I don't really believe some of this. And I want you to know that's okay. And we're glad that you're here. We'd love nothing more than for you to come in here and explore what the scriptures have to say, because we think they stand up. And we think they stand up to the test of time. We think they stand up to the test of experience. And we think they will test up to the test of truth as well. And so we'd love for you to come and explore those. We'd love to answer any questions you might have just about your own life and about what Christianity is all about and really about the person of Jesus and what life with him looks like. So as we talk about this way of wisdom and what does it look like to navigate life and all of its complexity, here's what, let me just tell you where we're going today. If you're going to walk through the complexity of life in this world, you're going to have to have a vibrant inner life that's growing in order to help you walk through the unreliable circumstances of your day. Any of you wake up in the morning and you look at your calendar and you think you've got a pretty good grasp on what the day is going to hold and you get to about 11 a.m. and realize that none of it's working the way you planned? Our, our, our days are not very scripted. They're not very predictable. But it's not just that. There's also these, uh, th- those are the, the kind of little speed bumps in life, but there's also giant hurdles in life sometimes. There's also sometimes Grand Canyons that you know you, you can't cross on your own. And there's this, this complexity to our experience that we're going to need a vibrant inner life to help us navigate through. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk today about skills for navigating the complexity of life. We're going to talk about the need to value the inner life. The need to acknowledge the challenges of the inner life and the need for strengthening of the inner life. So we're going to look at Proverbs together. And here's what I want to do. I want to, uh, sometimes when you study the book of Proverbs, if you look at like the first nine chapters, they work together as kind of a set and they run kind of the way we typically think about chapters in the Bible. But then you go beyond that and they tend to be just individualized ideas or, or thoughts. So they're Proverbs that Kind of each one of each verse or each group of verses sort of stands on its own. But then as you read through all of the book of Proverbs, what you realize is there's a lot of themes that develop as you go through Proverbs. So we're going to take one of those themes, kind of a clump of verses or ideas, and we're going to explore that today. So I want to read through several Proverbs to start, and then we're going to go back in and pick those apart kind of one by one. So let me just read as we look at this group of Proverbs. Proverbs 17:22 says, A joyful heart is good medicine but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear it? Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled 
is a tree of life. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but a cheerful heart has a continual feast. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. The heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger shares its joy. Even in laughter, the heart may ache, and the end of joy may be grief. So there's this group of Proverbs, and you start to get a sense of what we're going to talk about today. We want to talk somewhat about the wounds of life and how it is we navigate life to walk through uh, just the the difficulties and the complexities that are there. And so I'm going to obviously start with Liam Neeson. Uh, This picture is here from, you know, it seems like a good place to start. Many of you have probably seen the movie Taken, and you know that there's a famous speech where Liam Neeson talks about his particular set of yeah, you know the line. Let me just read for you. He starts off, and the movie really deals with the kidnapping of his daughter. And after she'd been taken, Liam Neeson has a phone call with the kidnappers. And this is what he says. And I, I, I wish there was like a button they could push to give me his voice. I try to get our tech guys to be more skilled in their job and develop a particular set of skills to make my voice sound better. Like I, I fight for James Earl Jones or Liam Neeson, but you just get stuck with this. So I'm going to do the best I can to read his speech. And you can just try to imagine it in a much cooler voice. But he says, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills, skills which I have acquired over a very long career, skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you, and I will kill you. You ready to cheer? Like, you know, the guys, in the, like, every guy in the theater, when they hear that, it's just like, come on! Like, I'm ready to go get this guy, right? And so he tells you what the rest of the movie's gonna be, and it's very predictable from that point, right? He, he finds the bad guys, he pursues the bad guys, and then he kills all the bad guys. And you get to cheer as he does, and he gets to rescue his daughter, and it's wonderful. And so why am I talking about Taken? Because... I think the reality for us, um, for each of us, is that I want us to talk about a very particular set of skills, but a very different set of skills than Liam Neeson's character uh, applies, because uh, the skills that we need to develop that we're going to talk about today are actually far more important um, than what he did. Now, let me just say, it would be great to be able to wield a weapon in a high-speed chase the way it happens in an action thriller in order to enact justice in the world. It would be great to be able to tactically uh, attack a uh, a, a, a kind of a, a house that's got a dozen people protecting someone in order to, to free the most the person you love most in the world. Like we would all love to do that, which is why we love to go to a movie and escape the mundane stuff of our normal lives, don't we? Because we get this sense when we go to a movie like that that in a in a ninety minute or in a, in a hundred and twenty minute segment. We get to encapsulate all of life, and we can imagine what it would be like to have this enormously important set of skills that allows us to put a a bow on all of our lives by the end of the movie. And that would be really nice. It's just not really the way life works. But let me tell you why I use this this example. Um, We all need to think about the skill sets we need in life, but when we do, we we tend to jump immediately to the externals, don't we? We jump to our, our achievements. We jump to our resumes. We jump to our successes, we jump to our, our, our talents and the things that we can do to put ourselves on display, to make ourselves impressive, to, to carve out a life for ourselves, to navigate the circumstances of our lives and orchestrate them in a way that generates happiness for us and for those that we care about most. 
And so we tend to run to all these external and arrange our lives in a particular way but because we've been taught that our circumstances determine our happiness. That the thing that drives our world is ultimately our environment, our opportunities, our external circumstances, our freedoms. But the Bible says that it's not that easy. That we're much more complex than that. That there's stuff that goes on internally that is just as important, perhaps more important, than all the external circumstances of our life. And that's what Proverbs begins to push us to. Now, here's what I want to say is our, our circumstances impact our days in ways that are undeniable, right? You, you get a call from a doctor that gives you news you don't want. It's going to affect you. We're not robots. We're human beings. And all these things collide within us and move and, and swim around in us in ways that we can't. But there is also an inner joy available to us that can nourish our lives either, and even under the harshest circumstances. And the Bible continues to point us to that. So generally, <clears throat> generally speaking, when we think about the inner life, the Bible says the inner life is actually more important than our external circumstances. Do you know in the New Testament, when you look at all the prayers, there's not a single place, <clears throat> excuse me, there's not a single place where Paul prays for the, the circumstances of his life to be cleaned up and made easy. He, he prays for spiritual passion. He prays for courage. He prays for God to, to move and to be at work. He prays for the gospel to flourish. He prays for people to, to deepen their faith in God's love and their understanding, uh, uh, their mental understanding and their heart's grasp of the good things in, uh, in, in the gospel. But he doesn't ever pray that just his health gets cleaned up or that things get mixed. And, uh, but what, where do most, most of our energy gets focused? It's focused on the circumstances and the externals of our lives, isn't it? So when we think about where most of our energy naturally funnels, it tends to funnel towards our health, our finances, our relationships, our work. Uh, let me just ask you a couple questions. Is it easier for you to listen to a 30-minute podcast while doing 18 other things or to stop and spend 30 minutes in prayer? I bet you I know the answer for most of you. Maybe all of you. Maybe not. Uh, it's easy to post lots of pictures of family and friends and food, but what are you going to post when you're spending time alone in fasting and prayer? Like, how do you capture, you know, for social media fasting? Here's me not doing anything. Like, here's me purposely withdrawing so that I'm not trying to achieve everything and work my way into, into, into the good life. Here's me resting. Now, we do that when it's vacation. It looks cool because there's a beach out front, but other than that, it's hard to capture something like that. Now, we live in a world of constant noise, movement, connectivity, and solitude and quiet are hard for us. And you even get nervous when it's too quiet? Do you feel like you need to turn some music on or turn TV on or do something that just generates some, some, kind, of, some kind of volume? It, it's become harder and harder for us in a group of people. One, I think, are you more worried that you might miss out on the latest buzz in the news? or that you might miss out on time spent with the Lord. My guess is if you get through the end of a day, there's, a, there's something in you that naturally is going, I wonder what happened today, and you want to check in on the news. You want to turn on a certain station, or you want to run through your stream and just make sure you didn't miss any important stuff. But I bet you there's lots of days that go by when you don't think, I wonder what the Lord wants to say to me today. And that you allowed him to capture your heart. One guy I heard ask, are you more concerned about growing the grace in your heart or growing the money in your bank account? This, this is the inner stuff. It's where the tensions tend to meet in our life and the, the rubber meets the road in kind of a real way. And I think the problem is we don't put a lot of value on the inner life. And so 
Uh, I want us to look at Proverbs 17:22, and, and we're going to look at a couple of Proverbs here that tell us the, the importance, the priority of the inner life. Proverbs 17:22: A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. <clears throat> good medicine promotes health and healing, right? And so that is kind of where this goes. But but a crushed spirit, it says, dries up the bones. Literally, it sucks the life out of the bones. Bones are, are naturally full of kind of fatty uh, marrow, and there's this kind of richness to them. But what happens when you suck the life out of them? They become hard and brittle. It's why in old age, it's easy for someone to fall and break a bone because the life is beginning to get drained out. What this is saying is a crushed spirit, it dries up the bones. Have you ever thought about how the spiritual affects the physical? See, the interesting thing about the Bible is it speaks to the complexity of human experience. What's going on internally in our emotions, and science is now proving this out, that our emotions actually reach these chemicals that affect our physical bodies. And so we've got this physical and emotional and spiritual and psychological and moral, and all these things are just a mix within the human life of our experience. One spiritual well-being in your heart impacts your entire life, and it focuses on the heart, not the, not the circumstances. Look at uh, Proverbs eighteen fourteen. A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? You get what he's saying? Any of you like to be physically sick? No way. But you get through it, don't you? Because a, a, a joyful heart, a man's spirit can endure sickness. We can get through. We can go through a period of physical sickness, and we still somehow have a, a zeal for life, and we still have a desire to, to go on living. But you notice what it says in the next line, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? See, physical sickness is difficult to endure, but a crushed spirit is impossible to survive. I think it was Gabriel Marcel said, hope is breath for the soul. If we don't have hope, it's like not breathing physically to our souls. We have to have some kind of hope. And when you look at this word spirit, uh, it actually comes from a Hebrew word that's ruah, which means breath or wind, and it speaks to kind of the, the force or the inner, and when it's applied to a human being, or some places it can be used, it actually speaks to breath or, or physical wind, uh, an invisible force that, and energy that, that, that moves through the world. When it's applied to a human being, it talks about spirit. It's talking about the, phys- the kind of inner force or energy that you live with, the, the inner spirit that you have. What he's saying is broken heart or broken spirit will literally suck the life out of you. You ever seen anyone that's just ready to give up? To throw in the towel? Uh, someone who just has no desire to, to get back out there and fight through the problems of the day? Who, who doesn't, have, doesn't seem to have the energy to, to get out of bed and just like, I gotta go attack another week on a Monday morning? But they're just ready to shut down? Um, maybe you've been there before, yourself. Uh, maybe you've gone through some of that struggle. And here's what we're trying to, what, what, it's, what it's pointing to is we go through these seasons of discouragement, of, dispre- of depression, even of despair in the human life. And we see people who do it, we experience it ourselves. Why? Because we've got this inner turmoil inside of us that sometimes takes over and we aren't even sure what to do with all the stuff in here. Can you relate to some of that? Uh, it's funny, I have a friend who, had a hard time relating to that. And this was an incredibly successful guy. It's a guy who started a successful business, a guy who's written books, a guy who had two master's degrees. But literally, whenever you ask him feeling, he had to pull up a deal on his phone and go, and he looked through a list of emotions on his phone and go, I think I'm 
think angry. Because it was hard for him to get in here. And here's what I want to say is emotional life is a part of that. But what, what the Bible is actually talking about is, is much bigger than just the emotional life. It's talking about something that's much richer and deeper than just the emotions, although the emotions are very much a part of it. So what gives a human being a crushed spirit? Uh, one scholar points out the complexity of human life that's at play here. You know, our lives are full of multiple factors, aren't they? You think about the psychological uh, and so that, that in our day is the thing that drives everything, is kind of the century of psychology. And so everything points back to this kind of inner psychology. But we talk about sociology, we talk about the physical, we talk about the emotional, the moral, the relational, even the, the philosophical, existential. All of these things are at play in a human being, and we can't really sort it out, can we? You know, what's interesting is when you look at just the theology of what we believe, we believe that there's this physicality or there's this body and flesh, this like stuff that you can hit, stuff that when someone bumps into you hurts, right? There's physical, and then there's this invisible stuff that you can't see. And then there's this kind of stuff that you're not sure where it fits because the brain captures our thoughts, but it's also full of chemicals, and it seems to cross over. And so you've got these kind of two spheres of, of that which is visible and that which is invisible. It all comes together, and, it, and we try to sort it out. It's why when you go to the self-help aisle at a bookstore, uh, you can find all of these topics and, and kind of someone who's written about telling you how to fix this, right? And this is the, the way things tend to work. But what we have to understand is that our emotional health impacts our physical well-being and our, our physical health impacts our emotions. Our, our moral behavior impacts our psychology. And our psychology oftentimes impacts our relational health, our societal elements, the things that are going on. All these things collide in, the, in human experience, right? But when you go to the self-help aisle, what you see is it's oftentimes too simplistic. So you see someone that gives you, you know, five tips for emotional freedom or 12 ways to build your self-esteem or five principles for relational boundaries, and we try to take all these simplistic approaches to deal with aspects of that. But the Bible just is much deeper and richer and really helps us deal with the complexity of human life. The problem is all those areas become too reductionistic. So psychology turns everything into a self-esteem problem, right? Sociology turns everything into a, a systemic problem. And society and the ways it built, Christians often things, oftentimes turn things into, too much into a moral problem. Just go, well, if you confess your sin, if you confess your sin, all those things would get fixed. And so Christians sometimes uh, will will approach that and say, you know, have you confessed enough? Have you prayed enough? Have you claimed the promises of God enough? And if if you do those things in that spiritual realm, it'll fix everything else. And that's not always the case. Sometimes you need rest because you're physically exhausted. And so any approach that just takes one of these that says education is the answer because you fix your thinking or therapy is the answer to fix your esteem or politics is the answer to legislate some platform, none of these things that we run down answer all of the complexity of human life. And this is what I think Proverbs wants us to see because it's incredibly problematic when we treat one of these things but not the others in, in, in looking at the whole problem. The Bible says that we're made in the image of God, which means we're bigger than any one area can capture. Your life is, is, is more, more beautiful. I want you to hear this. Your life is more beautiful, more unique, more mysterious, and more complex than anyone in our world could put a label on. And you need to know that, and you need to live from that. You are made in the image of God, and his fingerprints are on you. 
His handiwork created you and he made you unique so that there's no one else like you. And you have a relationship with him, but we have to learn to navigate that through an inner life. It's, so that's why I think we have, to, we have to acknowledge the challenges of the inner life because there are a lot of challenges, aren't there, to, to a vibrant inner life and not just running from appointment to appointment to appointment, managing the circumstances of our lives, but to actually find a rich, deep place of fellowship with the Lord that drives us and sustains us in the midst of it all. So let's look at the second category here of acknowledging the challenges of the inner life. Proverbs 12.25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. Any of you ever get anxious? Any of you get stressed out? Um, there, there's so many Proverbs. I'm going to run through a bunch of these, and we're going to camp on a couple. But um, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. What does it mean to be weighed down? Literally what it means is to be pressed down or depressed. I remember I went through a time, I went to talk to a counselor, and he said, here's the deal. He goes, you're burnt out. You've been burning the candle at both ends. You've been running a million miles an hour. Your son went through this tragic accident. Your wife's been going through difficulties dealing with that. You've got uh, difficulties at work. You've got all this hardship on your life, and you're running and running and running. You've been trying to manage it, but you're, you're not strong enough to bear the weight of all the things in your life. And so what happens when you bear too much weight for too long? It weighs you down, and you become what? Depressed. And he said, that's what burnout is, ultimately, is you become depressed by the anxiety and the stress of life. There's reality to that in the inner life that we have to navigate. Proverbs 13, 12 uh, speaks to our unmet expectations. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred. So deferred means something that's drawn out, meaning it, you, you never get to the completion of that. Any of you have any hopes for life? that you're still waiting to have fulfilled? Like any of you played the lottery? Like you did, like that one you know you didn't get it very quickly, but there's other ones that are much bigger that you look for and you thought, and I was gonna have this career path and I carved it out and I had a plan and I knew exactly where I was gonna go and I'm, I'm still waiting for it to come to fruition because it's never quite looked the way I thought it would be. You know, we start off in marriage and you make these incredible vows and sickness and health, you just didn't really know what sickness looked like. And then later you realize, like, oh, I thought it was just all going to be honeymoon. And you realize that, oh, sometimes I have to clean up, throw up. That's kind of gross. And so there's these things that don't always work out exactly the way you think they're going to because we have these expectations. But some of them are very real. Some of them are, are very real expectations for life. And you desire them. And it says a hope deferred makes the heart actually sick, meaning unfulfilled expectations, that you're desiring for something. But then it says a desire fulfilled um, is a tree of life. And so sickness contrasts with tree of life. And the tree of life is something that revives the soul like like leaves in springtime. Brings new life to something that when you actually get to the end game of something that your heart was set on, you get to enjoy it. But there's a reality here that unmet expectations are a problem, aren't they? Any of you have to wrestle with the losses of life? What happens is you get a little bit older when you're younger, you think you're invincible, and you, you have these ideas of what's going to come your way, and as you start to get older, you have to learn to navigate these losses, losses of people that pass on, losses of relationships that break up, losses of dreams that you have to let go of, and as you work through these things, these become difficult to navigate. Jump over to Proverbs fifteen fifteen. 
All the days of the afflicted are evil, but a cheerful heart has a continual feast. I love this proverb. Uh, This is one I think it'd be worth reminding yourself of on a regular basis. All the days of the afflicted are evil, meaning we're, we're convinced that our circumstances drive our happiness, and if your days seem afflicted, then you're just, you're just want to cuss about them all, right? I mean, every, I mean you, you guys feel that way sometimes? Like, we can be honest here, right? We can pretend like we don't, but there's some days that just make you want to cuss because they didn't go the way you planned. They didn't go the way they should have. Oftentimes, bad things happen. And so you're looking at this, and you're like, man, I'm not okay with this, Lord. And you're frustrated with the way it went. But you notice what he says, but the cheerful heart has what? A continual feast. It's talking about a lavish meal. What does a continual feast do? It nourishes you and refreshes you. Any of you have been hungry after a long day and you sit down or you've worked hard or you had a super hard workout and then you get to dinner and you sit down and you're just like, oh, this meal looks incredible. And you began to just enjoy it and it just kind of revives you and picks you up and you're enjoying the conversation. That's what Proverbs is talking about is even in the midst of hard circumstances, do you realize there can be this like internal continual feasting that nourishes and refreshes you even even in the midst of all the craziness going on around you. There's this place that you could go internally that provides nourishment for your soul and refreshment for your soul. It's a, it's a, uh, the cheerful of heart has a continual feast and that overcomes the hardships of life. Do you see the difference there between this approach to life and approach that says that your happiness is found in your circumstances? See, if your happiness is found in your circumstances and your circumstances do this, what's, what's going to happen to your happiness? Your happiness is going to go up and down. And so if you make a sale, it's like, oh, killed it today. And if you don't get a sale, it's like, oh, today was awful, right? And so if you're going through, you're like, oh, he asked me out. And you're like, oh, he didn't call back. Oh, you know, and so your life just does this if your circumstances drive it all. And what scriptures are saying is, You need something stronger than your circumstances that sustains you and nourishes you apart from what's going on on the outside. That's what Proverbs is pointing us to. Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee when no one's surprised. Here's, this is going to be a, this is an interesting one. The the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. It talks about how our morality and our spiritual health ultimately drive our emotions, don't they? in our perspective and the way we view the world. You realize that's true? What do you do when you've been walking in sin and you're not walking with the Lord? I mean, I know none of us struggle here. We all, we all you know, walk with the Lord perfectly all the time, right? Uh, no one's gonna call me out on that? I mean, come on. Like, like we gotta, we, this is sort of who we are as a church. We're gonna keep it real on this stuff, right? We're, we're authentic followers of Jesus, which means we gotta be authentic about what's going on in here, and we gotta be authentic about where our life goes, but it also we gotta be authentic about our belief in a, in a Savior whose grace frees us to be honest about life. So let me ask you again. Uh, do we always walk the way we're supposed to? Do we ever struggle and, and go and do things we shouldn't do? Absolutely, every one of us does because, uh, because we're broken and we're sinful. And, and so what happens when you do that and then you have to go look your, your spouse in the face or when you have to go, you know you're not doing the right thing and, and maybe you're telling a little bit of a mistruth about something and then you, someone asks you a question and you're trying to remember like, oh, what was the story I told back there? 
Or maybe you looked at something and now you're trying to cover up your browser because you just hope no one else sees what you looked at because you're ashamed of that. And so you cover that up. What, what is happening? Well, you're fearful because there's shame and there's guilt that's taking place. Here's what's interesting. It says the, the wicked flee when who's pursuing them? No one. What it means is that when your heart When you know there's evil in your heart and there's things that are there, the shame and the guilty conscience and the the weight of the things that you're bearing, and they chase you down even when no one's pursuing you. You still fear that someone's going to find out. And so you're having to cover your tracks, even if no one's there. But you notice what happens to the righteous. He puts a contrast. But the righteous are bold as a lion. Meaning if if you're good with the Lord... If you walk to the Lord, if you've been righteous before the Lord, you have nothing to fear, do you? So you can speak out, you can, you can walk in truth, you don't have to cover your tracks, you don't have to do anything. There's this nuance to life that just says the moral is connected to even the way in which we physically feel and the way in which we emotionally experience life. That, that this brings freedom, so it brings boldness and courage to our lives rather than shame and, and fear. Proverbs 14.10 the heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger shares its joy. This one speaks to the solitary nature of life. Do you realize that there's things in you that no one knows except for you and God? This is what this Proverbs is, Proverbs is talking about. It's saying we're too complex, we're too deep, too mysterious for others to fully comprehend. So when it talks about a stranger, it's talking about the, 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 there's an intimate place in your heart where everyone's a stranger except for you. And, you know, this this is an interesting one because, uh, you know, I feel like in my marriage, I've got a a strong marriage and we're honest about life and we share everything. But I also know that even in the midst of as much as we can fight for the health of that, there's things in me that I can't even express because they're too deep. And there's things in Nan that that she holds in and she has with the Lord that that I don't have full access to. Or I'm not going to have a complete perspective of, which means I'm never going to fully understand any other human being in this planet. It also means you'll never be fully understood by someone else. One of the things that's happening in our world is we have this kind of dehumanizing behavior that we think we see someone, uh, they they make one statement or, or one post or they vote one way or they do something and we think we understand everything about them and so we kind of dismiss everything about their life because of one thing that happened. And I just tell you that's dehumanizing. It's not biblical. Because that person's made in the image of God and they're more complex than, any, than, than something you can simply dismiss out of hand. We don't de- demean people with brush-offs as though you understand everything about them through one instance of what happened. Which means we've got to have some humility about those. You know that the Lord knows us better than we know ourselves? It says that he even weighs the motives of the heart. Stuff no one else can see. Not just what we did, but he knows why we did them and what compulsion or what drive or what fear or what desire pushed us in that direction that made us do those things. Psalm 139, it's why we need to pray this psalm. And this is a a verse worth memorizing. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in a way everlasting. Because the, the psalmist knows what Proverbs is trying to tell us. That there's stuff in here that you can't even understand about yourself. And so you have to go to the Lord and you pray and say, Lord, show me, help me, 
reveal to me what it is. And if there's anything in here that needs redirecting, would you redirect it so that it moves in the way everlasting? The things I like to say is you have to do your own heart work. And this is why I say that. It's because there's some places in your heart that only you and Jesus, get, only you and the Lord get to go. And no one can do that work for you. So you've got to do that work in the inner world with the Lord. Proverbs 14, 13. Point us to is a difficult one. Even in laughter, the heart may ache, and the end of joy may be grief. This is speaking about just the mixture of, of good and bad in every day. There's a reality that, there, that even on our best days, there's oftentimes kind of an undercurrent of grief. You ever go to the ocean and you see waves coming in and there's all this stuff here and then all of a sudden you realize there's this strong undertow that just sucks you out the other direction? Life is like that. There can be all this stuff on the surface that looks wonderful and good and then there's this undertow that's dragging you down and pulling you down at the exact same time that, uh, that, that you experience these. And what Proverbs 14, 13 is saying is that there's no escaping the hurt in life. There's always a sense of, of sorrow, but joy inevitably is going to lead to grief. You notice what, uh, what it says, uh, and really this is true of everyone. This isn't like a general statement for some people. This is, applies to everyone. If there's sorrow behind every smile, even laughter will end in grief. And, and man, we put a good face on stuff, and we should. Uh, there, there, there's no reason to like, bring everyone into your deepest, darkest griefs all the time. Like a healthy person walks through life and they navigate it, but, there's a, but we also need to acknowledge that there's this undercurrent of sorrow and grief that also pursues us and also is there. And part of what he's, he's talking about is that uh, just the difficulty of the, the, uh, of the suffering in life. You know, our smiles sometimes can mask our suffering, but it's often, often there under the surface. But here's what ultimately this, uh, this proverb tells us is that, it, that the end of joy may be grief. Um, and at the very least, what we have to acknowledge is there's also a, there's a death at the end of life, isn't there? So you may, have a, you may have joy, you may have great happiness, and your circumstances may go well, but there is a death that comes. And so uh, uh, nothing else, the physical death that comes our way does put an end to the joy. Now, it doesn't mean we don't remember, we don't celebrate, but there is a, a letting go and a sorrow and a grief that enters in that's undeniable in our lives, and we have, to, uh, we have to wrestle with that. I think it's important because we do a disservice to people when we pretend that the Christian life's void of hard times, when we act as though those difficulties never come. And oftentimes in church world, we tend to focus on uh, the victory and the goodness and the happiness of, of the faith, but we don't often acknowledge the difficulty of life. And yet, um, you know, Hallmark, Hallmark movies are good for some things, but they're not good for everything you need. And so sometimes church turns into a Hallmark movie, and we don't wrestle with the grief that's there. And yet, he says, even in laughter, the heart may ache. Meaning sometimes, even when you're having a good day, even when you're experiencing a happy family time, there can be this undercurrent of just sadness that's there. I think that's important for us to know as a community, isn't it? To recognize that when we walk in and people smile and we're enjoying the moment, that there may be something underneath the surface that's rocking their world. And there, there's an ache that's there that they don't even know how to express. And they're wrestling with that. And so I think it's important for us to do that. To flourish in a fallen world means we've got to have resiliency that knows how to navigate the mess of sin and sorrow. And here's the, the sad thing for us. I think perhaps no generation in human history is 
more poorly equipped to do this than our generation. Uh, we've, we've got this demands of limitless freedom, this self-expression that's supposed to be affirmed in every case. We've got values and identity that we construct on fragile foundations. And we've got this expectation that life is always going to go the right way. And yet, Scripture tells us that, that, that there's a bigger problem than that. And our world doesn't give us good answers to suffering. It doesn't tell us where to go and offer kind of a remedy for the pain of life. It doesn't offer us resilience for enduring all the hardships of life. And here's what we need to see at the end here, is that only faith in a God who's stronger than the God of self can nourish us and strengthen us and bring real healing to our hurts and strength to help us thrive in hard times. So let's look at the last category here of strengthening the inner life. Let me ask you a question. How is the gospel, or the good news, how is the the truth of God better than merely a self-help book? Because, you know, a lot of people approach Christianity, approach faith, approach religion uh, as simply a moral exercise in self-help or a way to prop yourself up and do better. How how is the gospel, how are the scriptures pointing us to something that's greater than merely a self-help? And ultimately, it's got to go far beyond helping ourselves. Uh, You know, there's there's an old quote that says that God helps those who help themselves. Uh, You don't know where that's found in the Bible? Nowhere. Because it's not true. It's, not, it's nothing you're going to find in Scripture. Proverbs 25, 25 says, Like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Now, on the surface, part of what that means is that, uh, that, that when, when you hear good news, if, you're, if you feel distant from home, if you feel disconnected from the people you love the most, if you feel displaced from the place that feels most comfortable to you in the, in the world, and you hear good news from there, it naturally brings a smile to your face. It lifts your countenance, Right? So on the surface, that's what it's talking about. But I think there's another way that this also points us that ultimately uh, when it talks about cold water for a thirsty soul, it's talking about the, 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 the passion, the desire, the hunger that you have that's quenched by good news that comes from somewhere far away. And ultimately, I think this good report from a distant land is pointing us to the good news of the gospel. That ultimately, the, the thing that, that's most refreshing to your soul it's not just good news from your family when you're far away, but good news from the God of heaven who sent a good, who sent, sent a good gospel to refresh you, to stir you, to fill you. And ultimately, the good news we need is the gospel of God's grace and his kingdom, that we are not left to ourselves to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. We're not left to ourselves to, with the ability to navigate the complex world. We're not left to yourself to simply manage to find the inner strength and resolve that you need to do better. But ultimately, that a Savior from outside has come to heal us and to give us hope. A Savior, a rescuer has come from a distant land, a far-off land, and he's come to us in order to make known to us a good news that will ultimately satisfy our deepest thirst. You know, it's interesting, we talk about, we began talking about the crushed spirit It's interesting, Isaiah 53 says of Jesus that he was crushed for our iniquities. It was by his stripes that we are healed. Jesus, our rescuer, came. And he came from a distant land of heaven. And he he stepped into earth and he walked among us and he took on human flesh and became fully human so that he experienced all the complexity and mess of our life and he could relate to everything we're going through. But he did it perfectly and he navigated it perfectly. And so the inner life that, that we sometimes flounder and fail to nourish, he always managed to walk in perfect union with his heavenly father. 
And in doing that, he fulfilled the, the promise of a Savior who would come to rescue us. And then he willingly laid down his life. And so Jesus was crushed for all of those of us who walk with a crushed spirit through life. And he was broken for us. And he ultimately healed us through his own stripes. That's why ultimately we look, where do we look for inner strength? We've got to look to the Lord. Read with me uh, Ephesians 3. So for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth are named. So it's a prayer, right? Paul's praying. He says, I'm, I'm, I bow on my knees before the heavenly Father, the one who's far away in the faraway country. I bow and I pray to him from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, everything he owns, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. See, God is not just a force. God is not some abstract idea. God is not just some thing floating around in the universe that sort of kicked off this world. God is a personal being. He's a father in heaven who sent his son to us and then caused his spirit to live within us. And by the riches of his glory and all of his power, where we look ultimately for inner strength is we look to the God of heaven who sent his son to rescue us and his spirit to give us strength and life. And so he prays that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ his son may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of his love to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Friends, do you see where inner strength comes from ultimately? That inner strength doesn't come from you being so wise that you navigate life just perfectly. But ultimately, inner strength's got to come from someone outside of you. A good report from a far country that can satisfy that longing you have and, and bring nourishment and refreshment. And when you, when you know that to be true, it will be a continual feast for your soul that will nourish you, refresh you, and give you strength to approach life even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Friends, I saw, heard one guy say of this. He says, to the degree to which you believe this and allow it to melt your heart, you will experience healing and hope as you walk down the road of your life, even bearing the wounds that you carry. This is where we turn in the Christian faith with our wounds, with our hurts, with our doubts, with our questions. You ultimately turn to the Lord and you trust him to give strength in her. Not, I just tell you, your circumstances aren't going to get all fixed. Like, I can't, I can, I'm not going to pro- promise you that you're going to go out and, you know, if you give something today, you're going to get a, a raise tomorrow. Like, that, that's, not, that's not biblical faith. Ultimately, what, we're, what we have to do is we come and we surrender our circumstances and say, Lord, strengthen me to walk through whatever you bring my way until the day comes when you come and you make a new world where I no longer have to worry about my circumstances, but I walk with you um, without any of the crushed spirit that sometimes I endure in, in this life. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would make us men and women who are alive on the inside. Father, not who are anxious and fretting and stressed and worried about managing all the circumstances of our life, but are willing to bring those and surrender those to you and walk with you through, through, through everything that, that comes our way. Father, I pray that we would know um, 
the inner strength of your spirit in us. Father, there is no poverty of spirit where your spirit is present, but it's of the riches of your grace and the riches of, riches of your glory that the spirit works. And out of that, he, he offers us nourishment and strength. And Father, I pray that each of us would look to Jesus, that we would know the height and depth and breadth and width of his love for us, that we might know the fullness of you in our day-to-day life, Father, now partially as we learn and begin to walk with you. Father, ultimately, that we might know that fully in your kingdom when Jesus returns. Father, we pray it in his name. Amen.